0: So our Bible reading this morning is Matthew 21, and this is 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you... Say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Sophie. The next Bible reading is Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, from the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us, with bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever.
1: Thank you, Sophie. Morning, everyone. My name's Johnny, and I'm one of the church family here. And I thought we'd start with a quote that I'll pop up on the screen. I was reading a blog a couple of weeks ago uh, and, and saw this quote on there, and I wonder what you make of it. I'll just get this. It says this The idea of love is inside your head and cannot be realized in real life. Love is an illusion. I wonder what you make of that, that love's just inside your head. Um, is, is love a, a kind of a chemical reaction inside our brains? Is it just a social thing that we've all come up with? Uh, an idea that's not real and, and doesn't actually work in real life? And you know, some people think that about human love, and perhaps you think that's kind of cynical. But there's certainly a lot of people who think this way about God's love, isn't there? You know, we've, we've all heard... Plenty of times, Christians saying that God is love. And often that can feel like a very fuzzy, distant thing, a sort of fluffy love that's a bit of an illusion. It's not real, it can't be realized in, in real life, in our lives. Well, we have a song here that we've just read, Psalm 119, that says differently. It was written over 2,500 years ago, and it says that God's love endures forever. And that song is going to take us on a bit of a journey. And through that journey, it's going to show us that God's love really works in real life, in our lives. And it starts, doesn't it, that first line, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And it just jumps straight in to just inviting everyone else in. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron, the religious leaders, let them say his love endures forever. Let anyone who fears the Lord say his love endures forever. So we've got a song then that's for people who have started to wonder whether God's love is real. And perhaps people who a feeling distant from God, that his love is not going to really get them through. And perhaps it's a song then for people like us. So we're going to take take it through as a journey. There's going to be two parts. The first part is the struggle. And we're going to ask, where do they turn to when life gets hard? And the journey takes us from that place of darkness at the beginning of the song, and it's going to take us to a place of light from a place of fear to a place of celebration. It's a journey that brings them home. And the second part is that the song finishes with this celebration in the, in the presence of God, a picture of feasting. So we're going to go back to ancient Israel. And this, this struggle is described a bit like a battle where, where everything's nearly lost, but God will bring them through. And then they walk together up to Jerusalem, to the temple, and go wild with celebration. And we're not part of physical fights, are we? And we're not going to go to a physical temple in Jerusalem. But as we sing it and read it today, the hope is that God would bring us on that same journey through the struggle of our lives to one day being in his presence, in the presence of God. So what does God's love look like in real life? Firstly then, God's love brings us through the struggle. So look down at the way that they describe what they're going through. That little number five, verse five says, they felt hard pressed. They were in distress, like there was sort of pressure on them. Life was pressing down on them. I wonder if you've ever had feel that way about your own life. Um, They say they feel like they're in a battle. They say they're surrounded by enemies. They feel trapped by people on every side of them. Perhaps it's a bit like being in an MRI scanner. I don't know if you had an MRI. You have to lie in this really quite narrow tunnel. These loud magnets go around you. People describe it as very claustrophobic in there. That's how they feel. They're trapped inside. Verse 13 says that they feel like they're going to fall, that it's just like they're on the brink and just one more thing will send them crashing to the floor. Do you ever feel like that in your own life? And this was written, of course, back, way back thousands of years ago when, when Israel had actual battles and there were people invading their land who would come and try and kill them and they would have to fight and survive. It's different now for us, isn't it? You know, God's people aren't a nation. We're not a political unit that needs to fight physical battles with people. But that doesn't mean there aren't enemies. The Bible describes several enemies of, of God's people. And, if, you know, in many ways, we're our own worst enemy, aren't we? I think we've all got things about ourselves that we wish were different. If we're honest, we have all kinds of wrong things going on up here that come out when they get the chance. So perhaps for us, being surrounded by enemies, is not so much other people out there, but it's the way that we mess our own lives up, when we keep doing the things that we know that we shouldn't, when selfishness comes out in anger, when we get into the cycle of habits that we know are damaging us or, or people around us. We can feel like we're losing the battle with ourselves to be a good person. Or think of some other things. I mean, perhaps you know what the Bible says the last enemy is. Death. We don't like talking about that very much these days, do we? But death certainly feels like an enemy. Threatens us. Threatens everyone we know. I'm sure the fear of death is something that we we can relate to. Well, maybe for you, the battle is different. Maybe it's with temptation or with fear or despair. But here they are in the psalm. They're in the battle. Where do they go to for help? They're there just like us with all kinds of enemies in their lives. Where will they turn to for help? Verse 5 says, I cried to the Lord. He brought me out into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They go to God for help and they find that his love brings them through the struggles in their lives. And maybe if we were back then and in some sort of Bronze Age battle, what we'd really want, it would be, oh yeah, it'd be great if there would be way more people on our team. You know, maybe someone else could come. For them, it might have been a king or a prince with a whole bunch of other people in an army and help us. That's what we'd ask for that's not where they go. They repeat it again and again. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And it sets up for us, as we read it, the question, like, where do we turn to when we're in trouble, when life is a struggle, when we're in these situations and we feel like we're about to fall or, or life is pressing in on us? when fear is taking over, or we're faced with our own death, where are we gonna go for help? Take refuge in the Lord, he is with you. Look at what they say, the Lord is with me. How different would our lives be if we really got that and lived with that each day? I wonder if you remember last year um, in, in February, um, when the Russian invasion started. And I remember checking on my phone um, pretty regularly, and you see in the kind of red on the map of Ukraine as the Russian forces ended up surrounding Kyiv. And I, I wonder if you saw this video. We were, this is just a picture, but um, there was a video on social media that Zelensky put up right as the Russians got round Kiev, and, and they were surrounded on every side, really. And he takes a video of himself in Kiev and what he says is this, he goes around pointing to the guys around him. He says, the leader of the bloc is here, the head of the president's office is here, the prime minister's here, the president's here, our military are here, we're all here. And that was for the Ukrainian people. Can you imagine them hearing that? You know, we are surrounded on every side, but our leaders are right here with us. That same thing is true for us. Not with the president, but with the Lord God himself. That's what Psalm 118 is saying. You know, we can be attacked on every side, but the Lord is right here with us. The Lord is my strength, the writer says here. And we can ask, can't we, like, who is anywhere near as powerful as God? God. If God is real, there is no one even remotely close. So when we're surrounded and attacked on every side, and whatever struggle or pain or temptation, grief we are going through, we can start to sing this, too: "The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid." So is God's love real? Well, the first thing to see is that His love will bring us through the struggle. Secondly then, the Lord's, God's love will bring us home. So next we go through, we look at the next scene. If you look down at little number 19, verse 19, we get to a gate. It says, open for me the gates of the righteous and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. So God's brought them safely through. They've got through that horrible time on the battlefield and now they get back to Jerusalem and they're coming up to the gates of the temple which is the place where God's put his special presence. And I thought I just, there's a picture, you know, I mean, this is an old gate in Jerusalem. I, maybe it looked like that. Maybe it didn't, probably had a, a way through the middle. Um, and, and they go through the gate and they go into Jerusalem. And then the next picture is kind of an artist's impression uh, of the temple complex that was there in Jerusalem. Now, this is the place where God said that he's put his special presence. And we know that God is everywhere, don't we? And um, he doesn't need a house to live in. But this huge temple building was where God had said to the people that his special presence was there. And that was where they were to come and meet with him and worship him. And in that temple complex, there was an altar where they would worship. And as they get there on this psalm and they enter through the gate and they get into the temple, they just go wild with celebration and you get this sense as you're reading through that the, the song, this, this crowd are singing, you know, they're just cheering. Uh, maybe as they see the returning people coming back from the battle, perhaps even with the king leading them through the gate. And there's this excitement and energy in the air. And this feasting begins as they walk from the gate up to the altar in the temple. Verse 27 says it's with boughs in hand. So presumably they're holding branches. Perhaps even palm branches, as they're there in the temple, and they join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar, and they are going to feast together and celebrate. And as we so as we see this procession going in, let's listen. Let's listen to what they're saying. If you look in, uh, where is it? One of the verses. You know, they, they say, "Look, the stone the builders has rejected." has become the cornerstone. Verse 22, there it is. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in their eyes. So as they see these people coming through the gate, they say, these, these people are like the stone that just like nobody wanted it, but now God's made it the most important one in the building. We've seen God take these people who were just getting oppressed and crushed on every side. They were getting beaten down by everyone around them. They were struggling and about to fall and God has taken them and he's brought them home into his presence. And they cry, yes, this is marvelous. This is incredible. Look at what God has done. And we keep listening as as they keep cheering and singing and they say, the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. That's the Hosanna word that we got from the Matthew reading. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And so, as they see this procession coming through the temple, it's almost like they're leading to the king, the one who's leading them. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we know this psalm was written hundreds of years before Jesus. But as we're remembering today, we know a week before he died, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. On a day that has become known as Palm Sunday. And the excitement about who Jesus is has sort of been building up over three years. And it's grown to this fever pitch in Jerusalem. This amazing man. And he's been doing things that no one else can do. And saying things that no one else has ever said. And it's the Passover festival. And apparently you know, up to two million people may have gathered in, in Jerusalem for that week of Passover. It might have even been one of the biggest cities in the world at the time, just for that week, because so many people went to Jerusalem. And Jesus rises up into the city, and he goes through the gate, and he's riding up towards the temple. And the crowd think, this is it. This is the Psalm 118 moment. The king is here. They think the king is he's finally going to break us free from the Romans who've just been grinding us down for years now. He's going to make us, set us free, make us a free nation. And so they get the palm branches out, and they start to sing to Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what they don't realize is this. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem to do far more than that. And Psalm 118 is about far more than that. You know, they, think, they see Jesus and they think, this guy has come to, to set us free from our physical enemies. But he's not come for that. He's not come to win physical battles or become like a political cornerstone of a nation in the Middle East. You know, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem to change the whole of human history. And he's riding into the city to struggle against and defeat every enemy, our deepest enemies as human beings. Through Jesus, God is gonna remove guilt and He's even gonna defeat death. So you see the part the crowd on Palm Sunday, they get part of it. They've got the right man, but they're thinking so small. It's not just the Roman soldiers that they need to be set free from. It's our worst enemies, isn't it? We need freedom from fear and temptation from the wrong in our own hearts and from the reality of our own deaths. So for the Jewish people, Psalm 118 was a song about God's love bringing them into the presence of God in the temple. But through Jesus, this song comes differently for us. This song is a song about him bringing us into the presence of God. A future home for us. Now you you might have heard that the Bible talks about this future, sometimes described as the new heavens and the new earth. And our culture has lots of airy fairy pictures of what what heaven will be like, and you know we can absorb those, can't we? Maybe we start to think that God's love's not real, in part because we don't really think that there is anything to hope for in the future. Now, there are many descriptions in the Bible of what what that future home will be like. We can't go through all of them now. But let's look at some of the descriptions that this psalm gives us of what life will be like in the presence of God in the future. Verse 26 says, from the house of God, we bless you. So this this whole psalm is a homecoming. They're coming back home into the house of God. So, when for us, you know, when we long for home, at a deeper level, what we're really longing for is to go back to that home, to the presence of God. And what is this home like? Little number 27 says, The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us. That home is like having light shining on your face. My wife, Anna, says that one of her happiest moments is just to sit with the sun on her face and her eyes closed. But here, it's not the light of the sun. It's the light of God's presence, of his goodness himself, shining on your face. I wonder if you've been enjoying the lighter days since the clock change. Well, maybe you're looking forward to a bit of summer, warm, brighter sun to come. But when we, when we long for that, that kind of brightness and warmth, again, at a deeper level, Maybe we're really longing for this. The brightness and warmth of God's presence and his light on us. Verse 28 says, You are my God and I will praise you. That home is like being in a close relationship. You are my God. So for us, as we long for relationships... In our lives that are real and close? How much more are we really longing deep down that we had a close relationship with God and could say, You are my God and be with Him? And that home is like a festival, it's a feast. It says in this psalm that they shouted for joy. I don't know if you can remember the last time that you shouted for joy. I don't actually know what that would be for me. Um, but for them, this is one of absolute wild celebration. They're in God's presence and they love it. For them, this is like being at a gig and singing at the top of their voice. It's like playing in an orchestra and just being lifted by the music. It's like being in a pub after, the, after your team's won the match. Well, maybe this is one for Neil and Liz. It's like being at your son's wedding At a family wedding. So as we read this song. It's saying to us. Come and celebrate. Come and be part of the feasting. In God's presence. It's a bit like they're singing it to each other. And we're singing it to each other. Come home and enjoy God with us. For you it might be something different. Something else that makes you want to shout for joy. And celebrate. But all of these things are a picture of something greater, a future hope. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking at this point, we've gone a bit too far here. You know, life after death, life at home with God after you've died, that is just too much, too much to cope with, too much for a rational person to believe that these days. And okay, You know, I see your point. And maybe there'll be a time, a moment where you can sit down and and talk about whether, you know, how can we know this is real? But for now, I think we can agree on one thing. Deep down, this is what we really long for. We all wish that there was a love that would last beyond death. Recently, i was been listening to a band called Judah and the Lion, um, and they have a song called Suit and Jacket, um, which, you know, this was written by a couple of 26-year-olds, but it really hits on that kind of longing, that hope for something after death. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll put, I'll put a quote from it up there. And you know, if you've not heard it, you maybe have a listen later on today, if, if only to hear the desperation in their voices as they sing this chorus, because everybody I know... Everybody I know is growing old. It's growing old too quickly. And I don't want to go. So, how am I supposed to slow it down so I can figure out who I am? I think those words describe what a lot of people are feeling today. And maybe it resonates with you as well. I need to figure out who I am because life is slipping away way too quickly. Now, now human love will always come to an end. And if we really want to know a love that is not an illusion, a love that endures forever, then it has to be a love that endures beyond death. Well, Jesus is the one who can take us there. He's the one who can take us from singing suit and jacket, I don't want to go, to singing Psalm 118, I will not die but live as it says in verse 17. Why? Because his love endures forever. It's almost like in that song. Uh, the guys who have written it. I long to be able to say. I'm growing old. But I know where I'm going. And I know who I am. Well Jesus lets us sing Psalm 118 that way. I am loved. By a God whose love endures beyond death. And his love will bring me home. How does Jesus do this? Palm Sunday isn't the beginning, it's just the beginning, isn't it? We know that on Friday, Jesus will sing this psalm and then more than anyone else in history, he will become the rejected one. The stone that the builders rejected that then becomes the cornerstone. That first Easter weekend, Jesus was rejected by everyone, wasn't he? The religious leaders rejected him. His friends left him and rejected him. The Romans rejected him. They all turned on him. And he was nailed up to a piece of wood to die. Alone, rejected, spat at, and laughed at by everyone. He's the one who understands what the struggle of life is because he's the one who was truly pushed right to the point of falling. He's the one who the whole world came pressing down on in that moment, right to the point of dying. And this isn't a spoiler, is it? But three days later, God took that most rejected one and raised him from the dead and made him the cornerstone. And by doing that, he gives everyone in the world the chance to go on the journey of this psalm to join Jesus in entering through the gates of the righteous into the presence of God. Later, one of Jesus's friends, Peter, describes it this way. You put him to death by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And if we trust in Jesus, he will make it impossible for death to keep its hold on us. So, is the idea of love, of God's love, inside your head? Is it something that can't be realized in real life and is just an illusion? Well, God is saying today through this psalm that that couldn't be further from the truth. Do you long for a love that is real, a a love that's going to endure forever? Well, look at Jesus this Easter. Look at how he loves you so much that he would be totally rejected for you. Look at how he loves you so powerfully that not even death can stop him. And look at how he brings us through the struggle of this life and brings us home. And then you too will be able to sing the last line of the song. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love for you is real and it is going to last forever. So let me pray for us all. Father. Even just hearing this again, we do long for this. We long to be home with you. And we're so glad that you're here with us in the hard things that we go through in this life. We're so grateful for your love. And we really are looking forward to the day when we can come home and be in your presence. Amen.